Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food. What is up, everybody? I have Jim to my right. Now, I used to say this as just a formality, like it was kind of a given, but it just giving the lay of the land. But as of late, Jim, you've been somewhat, you've been, uh, you've been busy, you haven't been around as much, and people actually once again asking for proof of life. So I think I think we shot a, like an Instagram video yesterday, and you are indeed still alive. This still is, here. This isn't uh, weekend at uh, weekend at gyms here where we got you know strings tied to your hands. And <laughs> <laughs> it is the re- it is the real life gym, everybody. Not quite, not quite. I saw we were talking about a product favorite of mine, so I had to jump in on this one. You darn I wasn't right. going to miss it. No, no not this... like I missed the Rust podcast, which we won't talk about. <sighs> There's a whole. I know, I know, I know. Let's talk about the other There's person across thing. the table who's let's, more yeah, important than me. Yeah. Across from us, if you're watching on YouTube, you've already seen him. Repeat guest, optics expert. You are. You you are. Mike, you are. Just face mm. face the music yeah. here. It's time to face the facts. When I have an optics question, you are definitely one of the guys I go to. Also, as we've covered before, if I have an insect question, you're one of the guys that I go to. I found, or an astronomy question or a bird question. Yes. All those things. I found a daddy long legs the other day. I don't think we talked about this. This was like in the summertime. And it had all these like red dots on it. I thought maybe I'd discovered some like entirely new species of daddy long legs. Hmm. Mike probably has actually an official name for this arachnid. Is it still an arachnid? No. Um, right? The, the mites? The mites, yeah. Okay. But I don't know if they're an arachnid. Don't they only have six legs, you daddy know, long legs? Know, Jim? Oh, no. The daddy long legs is an arachnid. It is. The, the it mites is. that the the particular daddy long legs that he found right, with had, the, like, a, the had, red a, had a mite infestation. Yeah. You mean there was a daddy long legs covered in mites? Yes. I took uh. a picture of it on my way in to work. <laughs> oh, that's like doubly. I both. felt bad for him. Like, let me ask you this. Okay, gosh, we completely sidetracked this pod. Derailed from the start. Uh, surprise. Uh, Mike, was that daddy long legs doomed? That I don't know. I okay. don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, ultimately, yes. Okay. But maybe not from the mites. We're all, <laughs> we're all terminal. Mike. Getting philosophical <laughs> once again. We're all terminal. All right, Mike. The topic at hand today, again, if you're watching on YouTube, you're looking at them right now. Uh, and we don't do this very often, Jim. No. This is the Diamondback HD binocular series. This is one of the, the most robust series of binoculars that we have here at Vortex. That is true. One of the most popular series at Vortex, I mean, by volume, hits an absolute sweet spot in price and performance. We always say this is kind of like the bang for the buck. A very serious hunter can get some very solid, very just great performance out of these binoculars and, right. and have success in the field. I didn't say that all that great. But. It's the set of binoculars that you wouldn't feel bad handing to literally anyone. Right. You wouldn't feel bad handing it to somebody who's brand new, who loves it, and then asks you, well, how much is this? Where can I get it? It's like, well, actually, it's pretty attainable. And if you handed it to somebody who's an optics expert who... For whatever reason, you know, they're over at your house, they're buying those on, they're like, what's that over there? Well, here, use these. They'd be like, these are pretty nice, nice. Yeah. You know, you would, you would never feel bad handing it to anyone. Aesthetically. That's how I always, oh, yeah, very. I mean, I personally pretty. find them off the charts, but looking through them is just as good. So, yeah, a little something for everybody in the series. Mike, you're very familiar with the series. You're, I am. You're on the phones all day long talking to folks about these things. What's going on here? I, we got a lot of them. A lot of different models. Well, that's right. And I, and I think before we went live, uh, or at least recording, you had said something about a binocular for everybody, or you had a, maybe a... 
Yeah. Better catch race for it. Or diamondback for anybody. Diamondback for anybody. And that's that's really what we have here. We pretty much cover the full spectrum of compact binoculars to mid-size binoculars to full-size binoculars to large format binoculars. The compact, uh, the smallest being the 8x28, and then the largest being the 15x56. And then we have pretty much everything in between there. And 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 I don't. Th- I think this is our most, what I would say, complete or thorough mm-hmm. binocular offering. Uh, we don't have, uh, I don't think, thirty-two or twenty-eight uh, millimeter aperture binoculars in any of our other products. I think no. I'm right on that, right? Yeah, we used to have some in the Viper yeah. line. Right, there used to be 32s. Viper thirty-twos, and there was a Viper twenty-eight. Do you remember that mm-hmm. little guy? It was previously called the Fury before it was oh, called the Viper. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah I remember now. Little yep. guys. Some Viper compacts. Mm-hmm. They, yep. they never made it to be called Viper HD. They always okay. remained Viper. Uh, Correct. But then with the Viper HD went on. There was a 32 there, which I snagged an 8x32. I always should have grabbed the 6x32. I know. But anyway, Diamondbacks, back to those. It is now, it is currently our most complete lineup. Yeah. And the reason, well, like what Mark said, is there is something here for everybody. And, uh, and it really can be any application. There are binoculars here for amateur astronomy, for birding, for kayaking, um, for hunting, pretty much any kind of activity, outdoor activity or indoor, like a concert or something. The, the compacts are good for live shows. Um, there's really something here uh, for any type of application where you need to see far away. One of these binoculars is likely going to be the ticket. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So real, real quick here. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pick one. Yeah. And we'll just go from there. I'm gonna start small. Compact binoculars, Mike. They're kind of they're always kind of there. They're not like the most popular things ever. Usually people just start with forty twos, but in this case we have thirty thirty twos and twenty eights. I keep a set of eight by thirty twos at home, like I already mentioned. I think they're kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But like what's your thought around the twenty eights and thirty twos? Why do you think that people don't gravitate towards them? Well, I think as much. Um, well, I think at least in our core customers, be it whatever type of outdoor observation is is going on, whether it's uh, hunting or bird watching, whatever, is people want the light collection. They want the larger ap- aperture binocular to bring the most light in, good at dawn and dusk. And that's when you look at a compact binocular, you can you can right away see the objective lenses are small mm-hmm. they're comparative uh, to the other other uh, binoculars in the family and well they, they do they let in less light but they still have 8 and 10 power magnification well when you calculate exit pupil if you remember that that's the the diameter of the objective lens divided by the magnification which gives you the diameter of the shaft of light that comes out of the eyepiece well it's mm-hmm. going to be significantly narrower on a compact binocular than a full-size binocular which is why you wouldn't necessarily want to use a compact binocular in low light. Mm-hmm. And since a lot of our core customers are very uh, low light driven mm-hmm. in their applications, that's probably why we don't see as much interest in our compact binoculars. But that doesn't mean to say there isn't a function, an application, you know, uh, a niche that they can fit into yeah. as either a primary binocular or a backup binocular. Like you said, you have a set of 832s in your house that you just kind of keep for looking, spying on your neighbors, for yeah, example. Uh, it, 
It's out. <laughs> it's out. Uh, like, for instance, Jim, when I caught topic. you spying on your neighbors. Sorry. Right. right. Uh, you can edit that one out. It, it's the it's the knocking around, oh, shoot, got a quick look at that pair. Yeah, you know? and, and therein lies one of the advantages to the compact binocular. Because they have smaller objective lenses, you can fit them into a pocket. Uh, they're easier to port around. If mm-hmm. you have them around your neck, they don't create as much tension on mm-hmm. a neck strap. They're very small, very lightweight, very portable, very easy to lug around, very don't have to think about making compromises on any other gear mm-hmm. I'm packing. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to be using a binocular a whole lot, but I don't want to be weighted down because I've got uh, you know a backpack with water and food and other gear, supplies, whatnot. You know, it's just if if you're a lightweight backpacker, you probably don't want either a large format or a full size binocular uh, in your pack or around your neck the whole time you're out hiking. Yeah, and and that's that's kind of part of the niche where the compact binoculars belong. And I see, although we don't get a huge call for them, is canoers and kayakers mm-hmm. often don't want a big binocular around their right, neck. They right. want something waterproof that if they spill, it's not going to be. Uh, destroyed and uh, they want something small and lightweight out of the way yeah. so that well, they can p- function uh, paddling their kayak or canoe. And that low light performance is a lot less critical. Ex- you know? Exactly. They're, they're not like you know, waking up at zero in the morning to you know, right. catch that buck or bull going back to its bed you know, in that gray light of dawn or something like that. Yeah, the, the low Unless you're kayak hunting. Is that a thing? Ooh. It is oh. actually. I did not know that. No, okay. you wouldn't. You'd, you'd you kayak to the place. Oh, where duck you hunting! Hunt. Yeah, duck hunting. Well, duck hunting and deer and That's turkey hunting. Yeah, and I, I didn't know people would do other things, uh, types of hunting. More of like an thing. access, you know. I like, see. Right, okay. right. I got gotcha. you. I might duck hunt out of my kayak this weekend. There's a. Did you finally get it from the place you ordered it from? I've had it for like a year, Jim. I remember that they called you up and told you that they had it in, and it yeah. took you about two months well, to actually no, get it. No, no, my buddy AJ picked it up, and then I don't think your buddy AJ exists. I think he's just a figment. You ever seen him? I think no, never seen him. Ever? Does he have a Facebook page? He was kind enough. Good question. (laughs) You would know. I'll show you pictures. He's uh, excellent. One of the best. How do we know you didn't make ever met in my life? I'll show you a picture of a guy named Sue. All I got to do is just Google pictures of a guy, and I can tell you it's Sue. That's a song. (laughs) Well, yeah, I know, but regardless, digression. Your song, the song by Mark, is a guy named AJ. Back to like compact and mid-sized binoculars. Mm -hmm. I was chatting with a guy not that long ago. Uh, very big into instructing and law enforcement and like surveillance type things. Uh, big advocate for compact binoculars just because of the size, the weight, being able to conceal them, you know, yeah, you put can. In places. And I've always personally been full size binocular, like all the way, right? I recently, uh, I, I do a combination. I hunt out of every type of tree stand. Right, ladder stand, hang on stand, uh, my climber, saddle, uh, and a saddle, and I enjoy them all. Use them all different scenarios, different reasons. Like them for different reasons, but in the saddle, which again I do really like, but I, for all my other hunting, I love wearing a binocular harness on my chest, and with the saddle system, it kind of conflicts with the way the apparatus is in front of you. So then I was like, golly, I may get a set of compacts that I can just slide in my pocket. And oftentimes, tree stand hunting, I'm not looking exceptionally far. It's quick looks, or I'm trying to verify something, or there's something in the brush that I need to get a clearer look at, or something like that. Yeah. I don't know, man. I actually I was doing some thinking on getting like a, a compact or a mid-sized binocular. 
for that of, reason. It's kind of like, you know, the same principle that goes into having a monocular. It's it's the best optic is the one you have on you. If you're right. not going to take an optic, then you're going to probably find up find wind up finding out at some point you wish you had one and then, you know, you're left not having one if it was only a full size that you had. So, yep. the compacts are nice. And then of course you get to use two eyes instead of one and and that is nice. And what we should clarify for our viewers that when we're talking about mid-size, um, we're not talking about your 42-millimeter aperture binoculars. You're typically talking about 32s. Correct, Which yeah. are not compact binoculars technically, although you can see they're, they're not that much different in size. Mm-mm. The objective lenses are a little wider. They're 32 millimeters, so it's going to let in more light. You're going to have a larger axis pupil. They will be brighter in low light, dawn and dusk. One of the biggest attractions to the 32 millimeter binoculars, and the compacts are kind of the exception to this, the widest field of view in any binocular line, when you've got a full line, the widest field of view is generally gonna be in your 32s. That That is correct. Check, do you, you have the spec on the 832 field of view? See, I've got some I think it's pretty here. close to 400 feet at 1,000 yards. I probably, I don't have that spec okay. here, Mike. Wow. But it's up there. And C- Can you explain real quick the why behind that? That's not yeah. super intuitive. Well, the the misconception out there is that the bigger the lens is, the wider the field of view, mm-hmm. oh, right. which, yeah. which is not technically correct because the field of view, it's a factor, but the field of view is actually determined by the design of the eyepiece. And the length of the binocular has a, a limiting effect on how wide the field of view can be. When you have a short binocular in terms of barrel length, I'm going to look up because the spec for you. Yeah, the objective about. lens is so much closer to the eyepiece. It's the cardboard tube effect. If you have a a short cardboard tube and you just hold it up to your oh, eye versus right. a long cardboard tube, which one's going to let you see more? Technically, no, ma- you know, one x magnification. There's no lens. Yeah, the short. But shorty. you can see more, right? So, well, the same thing's true for binoculars. Generally, the sh- shorter the barrel length, the wider the field of view is going to be. And your 32s, because of the larger ocular design. And because of the short barrel length, generally have the widest field of view of any binocular lineup. So if you're looking for a fairly decent optical view and not a large size binocular, in terms of brightness right. for, for um, you know, a four millimeter exit pupil in 832, 32 divided by eight, is still pretty decent for low light. Right. It's not the best, but it's okay. What's, it is. Well, it's not that far off from a 10 by 42's exit pupil at 4.2 right, millimeters. Exactly. So... What's the max like look for, an, look for an adult? Look at 425 feet at 1,000 yards. Which is an extremely wide field. I'm compared sorry, to, oh, sorry, uh, compared to the 8 by 42, 393 feet at 1,000 yards, which okay. is also f- yeah, notable. That's a lot. Yeah. Wow, that's, I mean, that's an extra nearly, that's an extra 30 feet, at, you know, at 1,000 yards yeah. of field of view. I mean, that's and for notable. Pe- for, for, for people who want that panoramic effect when they're out hiking, that's the 832s. That's where they're golden is if you want a very wide panoramic field of view out of an optic and you're not as concerned about you know maximum resolution at distance, the best low light performance, it's mostly gonna be a daytime binocular after dawn, before dusk. The 832 is a very, very excellent choice for that type of application. Mm-hmm. It's gonna give you the best panoramic presentation. That's awesome. We're gonna just be Hammering eight by thirty two. I do. I'm thinking about it. I mean, <laughs> out of stock. Those would right fit away. in my jacket pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, any pack pocket. Like you said, I mean, you're not. It's not a big size or weight penalty. You know, for just the general recreationalist. Yeah. But man, yeah. I don't know. I see a place in my hunting world yeah. for them. Now the question, the next question comes. Well, why would I get an eight forty two? You can see 
comparing the two, well, an 842 is going to be larger and heavier. We've mm-hmm. changed the objective length, uh, or the diameter, to 42 millimeters. There you go. And so you're letting in a lot more light. That exit pupil is going to bump up from 4 millimeters to 5.25 millimeters. Notable. That's great that's a big low light performance difference. What's the what's the max like an in on average an adult the diameter of yeah, the pupil? It, it depends on your age. Okay. If you're Jim's age, just you know, a few years after twelve. Michael. <laughs> <What is> Michael. <laughs> that is gonna no, say sir. like you know a few years no. out of college, which I no. can accept. But Jim, no. Jim, it, during dawn and dusk, and it his night vision is probably way better than yours and mine. Because of age. Why you gotta, as why we you get older, as we oh, you're older. in this, Mark. My night vision <laughs> dominates yours. Probably. How do you even know that? We haven't even tested I know this. That for a fact, I have excellent night vision. So do I. Do you? Yes. We will have a contest. Well, okay. There are tests that can be performed to, huh. to objectively ascertain that. Now, as we age, uh, the muscles that dilate our pupillary openings tend to weaken, and you can't get as much of a an entrance pupil instead of an exit pupil. Your pupillary opening is technically called an entrance pupil. It doesn't open up as wide or dilate as wide. So on average, an adult my age, in his 30s, for example, <laughs> <laughs> um, probably at night has an exit pu- or an entrance pupil between five and a half and six millimeters, give or take, maybe okay. a little more. Okay. Kids could have as much as seven okay. or, or above wow. seven. So as we age, our maximum... Pupil dilation does decrease. Of course, there are variances in the population. So Mark is alleging that for a guy his age, he has a wider entrance pupil, hence his then, claim that, right. than a, average. a claim that can be tested. Tell you what, you want to see a big entrance pupil. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can tell you this. I've got, I've, I've got my new pickup line. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah. So in theory, though, it's a, if you haven't listened, to, we had a podcast where we talked all about binoculars with Mike a while back. Mm-hmm. We, took, we talked about exit people. And so basically your pupil is dilating and constricting depending on the uh, ambient light to try and yeah. to try and see better. That's or, correct. you know, and, and if it's super bright out, try and not blind yourself. It doesn't need yeah. all that light. And so if you have more exit pupil out of your binocular than your pupil is dilated, then some of that is wasted. It's not making it in. It's hitting your iris. Right. Yep. So there's an obstruction keeping the maximum exit pupil from entering your entrance your entrance pupil. Okay. Now here's here's another uh, immediately people might think that, well, why would I ever get a different binocular if the maximum exit pupil is always going to be wider than my entrance pupil. In other words, do I benefit from a binocular that has a five millimeter exit pupil versus a four millimeter exit pupil if my maximum exit pupil is only ever four millimeters? Mm-hmm. Part of that- Entrance pupil. Yeah, entrance pupil, yep. So part of that is is also related to the diameter of the objective lenses. So for example, if you had two eight power binoculars, one's a 42, and one's a 50. So an 8x42 and an 8x50. We don't have an 8x50, but this is just an illustration. There used the, to be a Diamondback 8.5. Right. I was just about to say that. I forgot about that one. But the, the fact is that even if your iris is uh, blocking off the uh, exit pupil so that the same diameter is going through both eyes, think of the light path, the binocular that has the larger aperture lens, as a, as a highway that has more cars in it than the than the one of the same diameter that has less cars in it. Ah. And think of those cars as photons of light. Okay. So 
you're actually down that same opening, you're getting more light through that, that same diameter opening into your eye because of the larger aperture, because you're collecting more light. But mm. the same magnification, a different uh, objective lens diameters, you're getting a resolution performance gain in addition to a slight brightness gain. Okay. Okay. You know, I always wondered if maybe something else uh, to do with it would be, generally speaking, in, in every optic ever, you're going to get the most distortion out of the image at the very, very edges of that image. Mm-hmm. If your pupil is constricted during the daytime, you know, and so you're essentially, there's a lot of light in that exit pupil that's just hitting your iris. It's not making it into the entrance pupil. Are you kind of getting, by having your eye right in the center of that exit pupil, are you kind of getting the more ideal image quality versus kind of... No. You're not. So, like, the edge of the image isn't exactly being, like, occluded. No. You're still... The field of view is all still the same of what you're seeing everything. So, in your typical field of view... As long as you your pupillary opening, the lens of your eye, is seeing the full field of view, there's nothing causing vignetting, the binocular being too close or the binocular being too far. As long as you can see the field stop, no matter what the size of the exit pupil is, you're going to have the same effect of center to edge clarity. Oh, okay. Okay, so... I mean, it makes sense. I mean, would that be like, if the other, if the case Jim described was true, like, as your light or as your pupil like dilated or constricted, be like yeah, your you, field would, of you view would see sh- less or more. Yeah, that'd be weird. Right, which it doesn't do because yeah. if you think about it, the highway analogy again, mm-hmm. that light is coming in for, from the full optical presentation and all of that photon energy that's getting into your eye is describing that field of view. Oh, yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's only going to be constricted if you pull the binocular away and create an obstruction from the full field of view, and call the vignetting, or if you bring it too close mm-hmm. to right, your so you're eyes. Right, not in that sweet spot of exactly. eye relief. So the eye box or right at the um, the end of the eye relief where the exit pupil is. Yeah. There's a lot of jargon here, mm-hmm. a lot to sort out. But uh, t- to answer your question, there's no change in edge-to-edge clarity um, with respect to how much mm. light you're letting through your pupillary opening. Gosh, light is a weird thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot, and, and, and I think, though, that gets into, and I kind of even knew this, but it's, trying to think through it, I guess it can be a bit confusing, but that goes into a lot of people who will think that a bigger binocular will have a bigger field of view, like we just discussed, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. because they're thinking to themselves, well, whether it's a bigger exit pupil or just bigger barrels um, or something like that, they'll think, well, there has to be more getting through there, more is making it to my eye, and therefore more information will be there. So it has to have a bigger field of mm-hmm. view, but it's just optics, you know? Yeah. It's just physics. The, yeah. The super common misconceptions, though, Yeah, there. Uh, and you can see where people arrive at them oh, sure. as well. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike, you used, uh, used a couple words. You used jargon, and then you also used field stop. Field stop. Uh, I call the edge of the circle the field stop. Okay. So you're, you got your field of view. The circumference that you can see of a nice crisp edge is the field stop. Okay. So any further beyond that that you take the binoculars away is beyond the field stop. So you, you degrade and... The black area yeah. is outside of the field stop. The image is in the inside of the field stop. The field <laughs> stop is just that that terminating point. Gotcha. Oh, now, okay. Yeah. yeah. Following. Yeah. Boy, I like that term, field stop. Sounds very educated. Um, it does. How about... Okay. <laughs> Mark, Diamondback series here. Yes. We're, we're talking about it. We're talking about binoculars in general. But how right. about something specific to the Diamondback series? 
it's on the H, you know, the Dimeback HD. As you see it now, this is its kind of second generation body style. Mm-hmm. We'll call that. Dimeback's been around for a while. Oh yeah, it was not our first binocular as Vortex. No, but it it's been around for a very long time. It's also had a lot of iterations. I mean, we've brought up a couple of them. Like there's that eight and a half by fifty. That thing was a a tank, low yep. magnification. It was like the low light monster. You used to be able to get it in coyote color. Mm. That was kind of mm. neat. I remember. I, I remember what, that now that you say it. I was sad to see that go. I know. I know. Me I, too. I was just. Um, I was always shocked it didn't sell better. I know. What I the liked heck? it. Everybody's always like, "Oh, FDE everything," and then we had a binocular. It was tanned, and they didn't didn't want it. Yeah, it was well, the interest uh, increases right after you discontinue it. Usually, mm-hmm. that yeah. is how that works. Um, Mike, any notable stories from your history here? Because you've been here for a long time. Any any notable stories about the related to the Diamondback binocular series? Maybe the old Diamondbacks or the newer ones. Wow, I can't think of one. <laughs> you know why though? Well, I'll tell you, you know what. why though because yeah. the Diamondbacks they've just always been around. They just it's work. like you can't ever think of a can't ever think of a good story about I don't know your foundation of your house because it's not that exciting because it's always there and it always works. It's just always working. Yeah. <laughs> you take it for granted. You take it for We've granted. We've been taking the Diamondback binoculars for granted. Uh, don't yeah. do it well, anymore. Don't do it. I mean, as a, as a frontline guy, tech support, fielding, uh, problem solving calls and whatnot, don't get a lot of calls on the Diamondback binoculars in terms of things going wrong. I yeah. mean, for their price point, for the optical quality that they have, they're pretty rugged binoculars. I'm mm-hmm. looking at the reviews right here. 258 reviews. This is the Diamondback HD 10 by 42. That's the one I have in front of me. 258 reviews. 4.9 stars. Wow. How about and that? probably probably the one was and just because somebody goes, now, I never give five stars. Oh, yeah. If you buy one now, we'll throw in a second. No, I'm just kidding. I have a question for you, Mark. Yeah. 10 by 42 or 10 by 50? I, in general, Oh, he's gonna. if I'm going to, oh, boy. I know I know what you want. In general, if I'm getting a 10-power binocular, I run a 10 by 42. Really? Why is that? Because I just like that it's just a little bit smaller okay. binocular. Okay. And you know what you give up by mm-hmm. going from the 1042 to the 1050. What do you give up? Exit pupil. And? Resolution? No. Yes. Resolution. Oh. Yes, Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so your 10- Which one has Twilight Factor? Well, okay, twilight factor is always going to be the square root of the product of magnification times aperture. So whatever two numbers are, are bigger yeah. as the product, that's going to have a larger twilight factor. So your 10 oh, by 50 is going to have a higher twilight factor yeah, than so your 1042. You give a twilight factor Not more. just the exit pupil, but the twilight factor. And you were right, resolution, optical resolution. Even though they're both 10 power, the 10 by 50 under any lighting, is always going to have a little bit better clarity in terms of resolution at distance, the ability to pick out subtle dif- uh, detail at distances is going to be a little better out of the 1050 because, again, the, the traffic, the photon energy coming in, it's greater. It's, there's more of it inside the optical system that's being magnified the same. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's that's the trade-off there. Your 1042, 10 power, smaller, more compact, a little bit smaller exit pupil, a little bit uh, less um, uh, low light performance. Uh, the 10 by 50, it isn't just that it's going to be brighter in low light. You get those other things too, but a lot of people don't realize that resolution is part of that 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 mm-hmm. decision making process when you mm-hmm. decide whether to go 1042 or 10 by 50. 
it may be the 1050 is going to be a little larger, a little heavier, but it's going to it's going to pack a little more optical punch at long range. So if it's if you're a hunter going out west, I think you're thinking 1050 or 1250 for a handheld binocular. I've been so I've been running you know pinky up Jim the UHD series oh, a I lot yeah, lately. Absolutely. You know me, and uh, so I've run actually quite a bit the uh, the 10 by 42. The ten by fifty and the twelve by fifty, depending on depending on the hunt that I've been on. Now the ten by the ten by fifty is kind of the newest the newest addition to that series this year. That binocular series is so good; it's all like you're cheating. Yes, like ten by forty two is amazing. The ten by fifty is amazing. The twelve by fifty is amazing. You didn't even mention the eight by forty two, which is beyond amazing. It's well, beyond amazing, but that's where I get into my love of well, magnification, Jim. Mark brings up an excellent point. Some of the optical theory we've been talking about here, uh, some of it is definitely relative to binoculars, different aperture and magnification combos of the same glass and coating quality. Right. All bets are off when you change the the glass quality and the coating quality, prism quality. You can't really make those those fair comparisons. Right. A no. 1042 UHD is going to be a lot brighter and sharper than a ten, probably a 10 by 50 Diamondback, just because of how much better the glass is in the UHD. Right. But these rules that we've been describing within the Diamondback series would hold true within the sphere yes, of the exactly. UHD series. Yeah, as well. exactly. Yeah, you can sure. take that theory and apply it to a complete set of binoculars. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you step outside, of that that you know fixed glass and, and lens uh, coating quality, then it it changes on you. Mm-hmm. Then you got to compare like to like in terms of glass quality. Mm-hmm. But man, there's you like I said earlier during during the intro there, you can do some serious serious work with these Diamondbacks. And, oh, absolutely. And it's uh, to me the price tag. You know, I mean, at press time. Like uh, what a ten by forty two street price, two hundred and thirty dollars somewhere in there, yeah, ish, or, give or take, so you know, two twenty, two thirty, ish. What did I say? I said two thirty, right? I don't, yeah, you're right, probably. Oh, is, is Ryan? Let's make sure Ryan's hitting record. Jim said that I was right. <laughs> you know, oh, it's funny he's not over there, so yeah. I just edit that bit out. <laughs> Is it going? <laughs> it automatically. It automatically. I sh- sure hope so. <laughs> Jim, Jim's got it set so it automatically shuts down if he says something like "I'm right." That's right. There can be um, no evidence. But I mean, that, to me, that's just like astronomically amazing that you can get that kind of performance for. I mean, that, that's not zero dollars, right? I mean, that's you know still a significant no. amount of money. But how it could potentially change your hunting experiences and your success and your enjoyment of that activity or really any optics related observation activity man it's gonna yeah. up your game but I mean, it's have, gonna level so things up big time let's have mike speak to this here real quick though so mike we, we talk about people talk about you know oh yeah the value the performance per dollar all that stuff but okay when it comes to binoculars and you get more expensive right so you're bringing up you know we're talking somewhere between 200 and 250 bucks let's just say that to be general and cover our butts but all right somewhere in there we're like that's kind of a good bread and butter you have graduated to a better level of quality than something like let's say our crossfire which is our entry level i wouldn't consider it across the board entry level but it's our entry level in vortex right and you jump up from a crossfire to a dime back maybe like 50 bucks or so and you're going to be like "Ooh, 
Yeah, I, that that was a that was a jump up right there for fifty bucks. Then you go from the Dimeback to the Vipers, and now you're jumping up like two hundred bucks or something like that. It's a more notable jump in terms of dollars, but your jump up in terms of like noticeable change in the quality that your eyes are receiving is kind of like about the same. Then you jump up from the Viper to the Razor. Now, I'm not saying that this just happens in the Vortex line. I'm not saying this because we're trying to you know swindle anybody into anything, but this is just the way that it works in binoculars especially, I've noticed. You get more and more and more and more expensive, and the, and the jumps in dollars kind of gets uh, bigger, whereas you know the jump in, in perceivable quality to somebody who's not like Mike's level of, right. I look through binoculars literally all the time, starts to be like, okay... Now, why did I spend that much more money to get this much more? What's going on there, Mike? So that that speaks to a very common conundrum by the purchasing public is, what am I getting when I go from this model to that model? If I jump to, what what am I actually getting? And, and am I getting, will I get a better view? Will I see better? And mm-hmm. the operative phrase there is, will I see better? And the honest answer is, I don't know. You, you have yeah. to tell the customer, like, well, actually, it depends on who's doing the looking, what they've looked through, and what they're comparing against. There are people who come uh, and look, come to us and, and look through the Diamondbacks and compare them to the Vipers and say, I can't tell the difference. Mm-hmm. And I, now, I have a choice to make. is I can, I can show them the difference. I can start pointing them on to things. Oh, and I hate and, it when you do that. Yeah, yeah, I hate it yeah. when and, you do that. It's say, don't let Mike yeah, do that to you. <laughs> where they're going to see the difference. And... Sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes that's not such a good thing. You, can't, you can't unsee it, no, right? It's because they might not ever go back down, and you can keep playing that game all the way up to UHDs or even beyond. Right? Are there? No, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's kind of the beauty is in the eye beholder, and I and I when customers are kind of falling into the analysis paralysis trap, I say, hey, is there a place? a dealer near you where you can actually compare some of these side by side, because honestly, if you can't see the difference, then you can't see the difference. Right. You know, so don't spend uh, 500 plus on a Viper. If when you, you compare it side by side with a Diamondback that you cannot tell the difference. And if you've got, you know, at that dealer, they've got kind of an optic specialist who can say, well, check this tree over here. Don't, don't the limbs look a little sharper to you a little more? No, I'm sorry. I, I, I can't see it then there's no compelling reason yeah. to get a Viper over a Diamondback. On the other side of that, there are people who, when you show them a Viper HD, a Razor HD, a UHD, mm-hmm. once they see it, they don't care what the price is. They have to have it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and those people are generally folks who have looked through glass a lot longer mm-hmm. than people yeah. just getting into one of the type of outdoor activities that we cater to. And, and there's only so much time you have in the process of making a sale. This might be good uh, material for our dealers, too. But you don't want to overburden someone to try and force them to see the difference. You want to kind of make that mm-hmm. that process fairly quick and fairly smooth. If if they are really struggling to see the difference, they should not spend any more money, and they should stop at whatever binocular they're, right. ha- they're happy right. with. Are people objectively getting something better as they go up the price tree? Yes, they are. Yeah. They're, they're, they're buying higher density glass with more bells and whistles in terms of certain types of de- glass densities, certain types of coatings, things that tweak the prism block, 
there are things that improve light transmission through an optical system, the objective lens, the prism block, and, and the eyepiece. But to your point, it is the phrase diminishing returns on, on your dollar. You're mm. not getting twice the optical performance for twice the price. You're just getting fractional improvements in optical performance for, in some cases, uh, quite a bit more money. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, some people just aren't going to appreciate the difference between a UHD and a Diamondback even. Yes, there are people yeah. who you show them a, do- a binocular that's over $1,000, and they're like, there is no way on earth, after looking at the Diamondback and looking at this binocular, that I would ever spend that much money on a binocular. Lots of people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's fine because if if the optic does, if it serves the task and you're fine with the price, if that's as much as you want to spend, you're actually get, getting a pretty substantial optical punch for your dollar here mm-hmm. yeah. in this in the price point where all the Diamondbacks are. What is the 15 by 56 in price anyway? I mean, I might have I don't think any I've got of these an are, MSRP are over, here, yeah. which is going to be. Aren't they all under $400? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are they all under three hundred, or is the fifteen by fifty six? I don't a think they're more? all under three hundred. I think the fifteen. Yeah, but most of them are under yeah. three hundred. Yeah, correct. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, so that, that's the. What, did you get find it, Mark, in all your papers yeah. over there? Are you just trying so, to scroll okay. through the ads? So okay, did you reach the ads? So this is on your. We, uh, we covered this pronounce. in the last one. Thank you, Jim. Jim's always on me about my printing. Yeah, it's unbelievable, Mike. Your handwriting. No, like printing of no. Oh, I, printing you know, pages. My facts. Yeah. You ever seen anybody? My facts like, that I carry with me. Uh, is well, I don't know, like you, Jim. I've had to memorize a lot of this stuff. I don't know. Is it? <laughs> Boy, I tell you what, Mark. You're young enough to have good night vision, but you ain't young enough to beat Mike in memory. Well, honestly, I don't. I don't know what the MAP price I'm, is. I don't even for I remember the 15 yet. by 56. The, the, so the MSRP is 474. But the MAP oh, so it's retails probably, a lot less, yeah. right? So it's right. probably right in that 400 dollars mark. Yeah, street price is going to be considerable. Uh, but but so, the reason why this one is so much more expensive is it has a lot more glass in it. Oh, there's a lot and more that's going on. Primarily, when you buy an optic, any optic, not just binoculars, but rifle scopes and spotting scopes. Generally speaking, the more glass there is, the more expensive that optic is going to be mm-hmm. in a particular line of. Of models, yeah, that's you know? true. Yeah. Talking um, specifically about that fifteen by fifty-six, um, which is an excellent, excellent optical system. In that, in general, I'd say that that kind of like quotation mark big eyes game, where you get into the fifteen by fifty-sixes, the eighteen by fifty-six. I'd, I'd say historically, that has been limited to optics that are going to cost a significant amount of money by nature of how they are. Uh, commonly used, which is for you yeah. know extreme long distance western hunting, where you're locking them down on a tripod and you're spending you know potentially hours behind them at a time, right? So, what I love about these is great optics, as well as they come in at a price point that doesn't kill a person in their pocketbook, and yet affords them that style of binocular to use for that application. Well, and to your point. If I recollect correctly, I believe we had a Vulture 56. Correct. Was it mm-hmm. a 15 at one point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, okay. was, it was a 15 by 56. Was it not more expensive than this binocular? It was. The Diamondback? Okay. It was. When, when the Diamondback 15 by 56 first came out and I got a chance to look at one, the second thing I did after taking it out of the box was go right out into the showroom and I wanted to see how well it performed against the, 15, rem- the Vulture 15 by 56. I remember mm-hmm. this. It's better. 
The Diamondback is, oh, is better. Oh, yeah. It's better it's for sharper, less money. It's brighter. Yeah, it's it's a better 15 by 56. We still get people asking about the Vulture. Why did you discontinue the Vulture? I'm like, along came the Diamondback HD 15 by 56, and it blows it away for less money. And part of that is time. Mm-hmm. A 15 by 56 that we designed or, you know, many years ago is not as good as more current technologies in making you know, sport optics products. Oh, yeah, that's, from, how, yeah, yeah. that's how a lot of things Yeah, so work. it's 15 by 56s in this price point. It's just, just gotten better. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge it's benefit true. in this price point. With a, and we should address, well, who's going to use a 15 by 56, Mark? So in, you know, the circle of folks that I chat with mostly, it's going to be your Western hunters, uh, coos deer hunters. Jim, you and I went and did that. Oh, yeah, Had total big-time big coos deer hunters. Big-time coos deer hunters. You know, uh, yeah, mule deer hunters, uh, you know, probably some elk hunters in there. That'd be great for, uh, you know, uh, an alpine bear hunt, alpine deer hunt. Potentially, potentially, depending on the hunt, you could maybe sub it for a spotter. Not mm, always, mm-hmm. but for some hunts, right? Mm-hmm. So you could have your your I mean, um, yeah. your your 10 by 42 or 8 by 42 on your chest and then carry, you know, the, the 15s to kind of be your, like, dedicated tripod binocular and long distance glassing a lot of uses for it it's lighter weight than a spotter right and what magnification might you be on with your rifle scope when you shoot the thing anyway there you go about 15 probably and we should also point out that i believe the entire diamondback line down to the 28s can be tripod mounted yep not that you would ever tripod mount a 28 well, a can you imagine but you the could. cutest little setup it ever would you be, put on it? a little tiny carbon summit <laughs> ss you know, when you're uh one of them things just be I mean, you put spot it on and butterflies. I really want to try. I'm going to try that. I'm going to do spot and butterflies. <laughs> uh, but you're talking about that wide field of view. Yeah. I mean, you could really cover some serious ground. It's and, true. And and the uh, magnification is the same as your 10 by 42 or your 8 by 42. So oh, I'm going to blow you away right now. What's going on, Mike? Mark and Jim? Did you know that the United States Navy did an experiment on steadiness and optics, and discovered that what a person can visually perceive by stabilizing a binocular with like a tripod or a monopod or anything is comparative as is effective as doubling the magnification. In I other words, it. in other words, oh, that's, yeah. if you ha- were hand holding a 20 powder binocular, you can see essentially the same thing with a tripod mounted 10 power binocular. Unbelievable. Oh yeah, absolutely. hundred yeah. percent agree. So that's, that's something people will want to consider is that, a 15 power binocular on a tripod is like having 30 power that isn't steady. So if you were, you know, had a uh, like some kind of telescope or a large format binocular, something really big with a lot of magnification. So yeah, I've seen people try to handhold a spotting scope before, but that's not recommended. Um, but you you really are when you tripod mount a binocular, you are adding your ability to perceive things at greater distances. It almost du- well double fold essentially. I mean that's oh, yeah. why we're a broken record about it. To the point where if somebody hands me a set of binos and I'm going to have to look at anything for any period of time, probably longer than like 30 seconds, if I don't have a tripod, I'm just kind of like, you know what, I'll just, I'm, I'm going to take your word for it. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'll just, I'll believe you that it's there. I'm not going to even try. <laughs> um, but I mean, a lot of this stuff though is, is, I mean, what you're describing there, what we were describing before with the differences in, in, you know, tiers of, of lines of binoculars that get more expensive is is perception by the viewer. And that's the weird thing about optics because 
you can, I mean, pretty much everything we tend to buy usually has some sort of human element or interaction with it that can become better or worse depending on the human who's operating it. Um, the old operator error, replace operator, and then start again. Right. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, with optics, that's one where we rely on our sense of sight so much and everything we know is, you know, or not everything, but a lot of things that we know is based on what we've seen before and it's all comparative. And, you know, and so when that's such an integral part to your optic, well, I think this goes back to what we used before we moved on. Uh, we, were, we were comparing lines of optics and stuff like that. I mean, when you, when you, when you talk about comparing them, it's so much, so much of it hinges on what you've seen before how your brain is perceiving that image. It reminds me of looking at a, a book, uh, Where's Waldo book. You know those? Yep. Like, yep. When yeah. you open up the book, the second you open up the book, Waldo is there. Your eyes are seeing it. I've read it every one of them. Takes, yeah. Right. And yeah. Uh, good reads. <laughs> um, it takes your brain time to actually figure out what your eye is already seeing. Yeah. And so when you look through a binocular, you might be noticing little subtleties and little differences. Your eyes have already picked those differences and subtleties up, but it takes your brain all that time to actually figure out what it's seeing. And so that brings up an interesting anecdote in terms of one's ability to find their quarry as they, they get more and more experienced out in the field. For example, this can be true on a long-term basis and a short-term basis. Sometimes you'll spend an inordinate amount of time looking for some kind of critter. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, my God, I heard that they were here. I'm not finding them. I'm not finding them. And finally, you find one. For me, it could be a, an insect, a bird, something. And then once I've seen it through my binocular or I've looked at it naked eye and see what kind of habitat it's in and what it's doing, all of a sudden I start seeing them everywhere. They're everywhere. Right. You can't yeah. stop seeing Is them. Is the same thing true in hunting that... That once you see a you know big game uh, mammal out oh, yeah. in the field, you get, get your adeptly better at finding them as you do it more and you more. Get your deer eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the Waldo thing. If you don't first, if you don't know what Waldo looks like, how yeah. are you ever going to find him? But once you know what Waldo looks like and and what he tends to be kind of placed in, it gets easier and easier to do. Well, I think the same thing is true with using optics. As the more experienced you get, you know, if you, if at first you buy an optic and you're a little frustrated that you're not seeing. Give it time. The you will kind of marry to the binocular, and it will serve you as you become a better observer. It's going to go right along with you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I uh, I'll use the coos deer example, Jim. When we went coos deer hunting, it does take you a minute to get that that oh, search picture to get your deer eyes, as as we deer like to eyes. say. It took us about a day, not a minute. But right. Yeah. But then you're like, you find one, you're like, so that's what you look like. Right. That that's what that. Um, Oh, uh, whatever. You know, just like the relative size of the animal to the landscape looks like. Oh, they 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 look like this in that yellow grass. Oh, yeah. they like to be in those ocotillos. Yep, exactly. Ocotillos, ocotillos. Comment below. I guess if you comment, maybe you won't be able to tell how the pronunciation. I've heard, I've heard both. Ocotillo, <laughs> ocotillo. Uh, they like to be in those. Uh, and I, th I think they actually do like to be in those. Part of me, I've always wondered, like, do they like to be in, do I think they like to be in them? Because I can see them. In there, or do they like to be in? It's just I, the I, only place you happen to see. <laughs> but I, I think I think they do like to be there. But um, yeah, get your deer eyes, get the, get yeah. that get that search picture, and once you find that first one, you're like, 
Okay, right. That's what I'm looking for. Exactly, and that's how you wind up being guys like Mike too. When you hold up a set of binos to your face, and you're kind of like, "Hmm, this one, the resolution is not as good as the other one." But I do notice less chromatic aberration, and I would say that you know, like the and blah blah, blah and it's all this stuff that's just pouring out of Mike's head, and then. You know, which if you ever, I look which, through if them. you encounter Mike, don't let him tell you these. No, things. don't you? Because yeah, you're gonna yeah. spend more money then. But then I look through and I'm like, mm, yep, look nice, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Ignorance is bliss. Mm, mm-hmm. yeah. At least I can I can tell you that uh, experience does play a big factor that kind of correlates to optical quality. A super experienced birder can use a really inexpensive pair of binoculars and see more than an inexperienced birder with really expensive binoculars. Yep. I believe that. Same goes yeah. for hunting. We yeah. got our butts you know, handed to us. It was like the first Arizona. 20 minutes. It was not the first 20 minutes. It was the whole time we hunted with that guy from Arizona with his Crossfire 12 by 50s He handled us with UHDs. We just got there. <laughs> I'm just saying, Mark. He did it. He phenomenally was like, I mean, yes. It's on the binos. There's one. Oh, yeah, there's, there's one. one. There's oh, look, one. another one. Oh, there's three over there. We're over there. What? What? What's going on? I got UHDs. Why can't I see them? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's yeah. funny. He was, he was getting them. Should we talk about the 50s? We should. We, I guess, yeah, we've talked about the 42. We skipped to the 56, the 50s, yeah. 10 and 12 by 50. Yep. Kind of your, um, your in-between, what I would say, kind of large format. And I, I almost consider 50s full-size binoculars still. Yeah, yeah, they are they are bigger than the forty twos, but ten by fifties are really common out there for a wide variety of applications. Even though most bird watchers prefer eight forty twos, you do see a fair number who use ten fifties because they're better for raptor watching, looking at hawks and uh, falcons and stuff like that during migration. Why is that, Mike? Uh, they want that because raptors are generally soaring overhead and they're further away, that extra magnification and resolution uh-huh. is beneficial for making the proper identification. Okay. Uh, and uh, people who, like, study um, waterfowl or shorebirds, if they can get a glimpse of a leg band to see if they can see the color bars, they can identify the bird for a study that they're doing or something. Oh. And generally, you can't quite split those colors in detail on, t- on eights. You generally need 10 or 12 to do that. So The waterfowlers out there just uh, perked up their ears yeah, with, yeah. That, with, That's that, right. with that band so comment. That can be, that can be uh, and plus astronomers, amateur astronomers favor 1050s for the extra light collecting and the more bump yeah. up in magnification. Planets will look a little better. The moon will look better. Deep sky objects will look better. The same is true for uh, hunters of, of uh, any ilk. I mean, probably Western hunting mostly. Your 12s probably override the 10s, but don't dismiss the 10s. They're going to give you a little bit wider field of view, a little bit better low-light performance, even though the twilight factor is a little bit higher in the 12 by 50. We should explain that. So you probably notice you got your 10 by 50 has a 5-millimeter exit pupil, and you've got your 12 by 50, which is what, 4.167, I think, exit pupil. Well, if this exit pupil is smaller than this one, and your pupillary open is wide, wide enough to accept the uh, exit pupil through your pupillary opening, why would this 1050 seem brighter? Well, that's where twilight factor comes in. That number is going to be a little higher than the 1050 because the square root of 12 times 50 is going to be a little bit larger number than the square root of 
10 times 50. And what Twilight Factor, it's not about brightness. It's contrast at dawn and dusk. Yeah. Your oh. ability Making out the to pick out movement in thick brush and low light is actually going to be a little bit better on the binocular that has a larger Twilight Factor. So exit pupil is not the only measure of low light performance. Interesting. Well, and that I mean, that is a really a strong point to consider because I'd say you're looking for a lot of things when you're glassing for game. But one of the things that I'm looking for most is movement. movement. And that's when you catch them. That's when you spot them. When you see that thing behind the things move or between the things, that's what you catch is that movement. Right. And getting back to the beating that tripod drum, you can spot movement right. when you are not moving. Right. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a tripod mounted 12 by 50, very effective in low light. That's why I like 12 by 50 so much, Jim. Must be it, Mark. I do love me a 12 by 50 <laughs> on a tripod. That is something special. It is. It's a thing of beauty. It is. 10s and 12 by 50s, though. I find myself recommending them more and more. Uh, mostly 10 by 50s, actually. I used to be like, well, the 10 by 42 is totally fine. Why? But now I'm like, you know what? I mean, unless you're like hucking these things miles and miles and miles and you're concerned about the extra couple of ounces, why not get a 10 by 50? You know? I mean, that's the only reason, right, Mike? To get a, to get a 10 by 42 over a 10 by 50, the only reason, really, is, realistically speaking, is because the 10 by 50 is bigger and heavier. Well, I, I don't know how, how you might take this. Oh, boy. Oh, geez. You set Seeing how I've, up, I've worked with you for a while. Okay. I've worked for Vortex for a while, and I have a pretty impressive binocular collection. It's Yes, I have true. compacts, full-size, mid-size, the whole gamut. Mm-hmm. Boy, Mike's really flexing I do not own a single 10 by 42 binocular. Oh. What? No way. Yes. Yeah. That, that. Not one. That's weird. That's <laughs> oh. that's like that's yeah. like a that you know what that's like I'm gonna bring out a car reference that's like a car collector saying they don't own a single V8 right not one wow I want, no that's just you just I, you're kind of like I want that exit pupil and I want that twilight factor or I want the field of view and portability and the 10 by 42 is just it's too vanilla it's, yeah it's, it's too it's, it's, it is kind of in the middle it's the do all. Yeah, well, it is, but it, it's, Mike ain't it's looking it's, for that. It's maybe not quite what I need for the things that I do, and that's that's the matchup process: finding the right combination of magnification aperture for the thing you need it to do. And the ten forty two, not that great for astronomy, not necessarily that great for birding. Hmm. It might be great for hunting, something I don't generally do, right? Right. But I, I do a form of hunting. <laughs> I'm looking for critters to photograph. You look for critters. Yeah. More than probably most hunters. Perhaps so. You use um, a lot of, uh, we don't talk about this a lot, close focus. Yeah. And I do use close focusing binoculars when I'm doing uh, insect macro photography. Yeah. I want to see the bug on the ground. Is that a big sand tiger beetle or an oblique line tiger beetle? <laughs> If it's a, if it's a big sand, I don't need a photograph of it. I've got yeah, zillions got of photographs tons of big sand. Of those <laughs> yeah, big sand again. Yeah. Sick of it. I tell you what, nothing sticks in my craw more than a 
<laughs> Big sand tiger beetle. Uh, wasting up space on my SD cards. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, but but don't you find that interesting? Is not one ten forty two. That is very. I, that's, that's actually. A, I never would have guessed that. I'd have guessed you'd have had more ten forty twos than anything else. I've got multiple ten fifties, multiple eight forty twos, a couple of eight thirty twos, and some compacts. Wow. Yeah, I have no twelves and nothing. I have actually nothing higher than ten magnification. In my binocular. Oh, really? No. Oh. See, I just find like so. It's funny with me because ten by forty two is they're the binocular that it, the most popular configuration. You're of not going to get me the to table, not recommend them. Of all these on the table, the ten by forty two is just king of the castle by a long shot. Tell me why. Because them numbers are bigger. Them numbers, yeah. Be, and so this is the thing: is it's like every time you know people come up and they say, "Hey, well, you know, which binocular should I get?" I'm usually like, "Well, Diamondback. That's just what I go to." And they're like, well, which you know, which one should I get? And I always want to say eight by forty-two because usually they're from Wisconsin, and they don't need a ten by forty-two. But I know if I say eight by forty-two, and they go online, they see, but there's a ten by forty-two. They're gonna be like, he's trying to rip me off. He's trying to like hmm. short sell me, and so he thinks I'm like a beginner, you know, or something like that. Whatever yeah. it is that they think, and they're gonna get the ten by forty-two anyway. Or if I say ten by fifty, they're gonna be like, that nah, seems kind of big even though they're really not going to be lugging it around that much. So usually I just wind up saying, yeah, 10 by 42. But you and, said something just, interesting. Why 842 for Wisconsin? Uh, you know, it's just because you don't, I, I don't think you need 10 power around exactly. here. But it's, other places you do need 10 and 12 and need 100%. even more. Yeah. Absolutely you do. And if you're using this binocular where you're going to be using it all over the continental United States, then 10 could be nice. But if you're mostly around here all the time and you're glassing something that's 100 yards away, max, then 8's great. I mean... Mark does not have a set of 8's. I don't, but because... Not one. No. No. Wow. Now that to me... Seems even Mark is the friend that if he okay. asked me which one should I get, and I said you should get an eight by four or two, he'd be like, "Yeah, but there's a 10. Uh, I it's hundred percent. Okay, but I gravitate slightly towards more magnification, and you again, it, made, it come. That's the first time in podcast history I've heard MC Ryan chuckle over there <laughs> <laughs> on that slightly. <laughs> um, it's just. To me, that's more of a universal magnification. That is my okay. dual. So it's like maybe it's not ideal for Wisconsin, but it works really damn good. And I can carry that same binocular to Montana or Washington that's fair. or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. So that makes sense. I, I to me, it's not. It's not like when I'm out here in Wisconsin, I'm like, ah, these tens. It's too much. You know, I never. I never feel like that. You know, honestly, I think. I just wish more people would carry binoculars when they bow and rifle hunt around mm. here. I still now, why is, why is that? Because I use my binoculars all the time. I think people don't know what they're missing. That is true. I, for that instance, is true. the spot that I sat, which I learned a little bit more about it this year, kind of a opposite hillside facing a very, very thick, brushy, briary, nearly impenetrable place where deer like <laughs> to go bed, right? I was glassing my tail off into what like an abyss of briars, right? Right. Again, just watching to see if I could see that brown patch of fur move behind it. So that way in the few gaps that I could shoot into, 
I would have like advanced notice, be like, okay, I know there's a deer back there. It's moving right to left. It's moving left to right. Be ready. If it hits that gap, you're going to have to be ready to kill it because it's not a, a big gap. So I was, I was glassing my eyeballs out. And that was probably like 200 yards away. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Jim, you, eights and tens? As far as what? Like, In your what personal binocular, binocular collection? I don't have any tens. Oh, I oh, lied. Oh, no, oh, oh. I lied. I have a 10 by 42 in the uh, Furies. Oh, okay. Oh, Furies okay. don't come in eights. No, I'm just kidding. Were, I, with the Fury, it's a Fury, you know, 5,000. So, Range-finding binocular. Yeah, range-finding binocular. So in that case, it's like, yeah, a little more magnification. I don't use it around here, really. I use a monocular-style rangefinder. But otherwise, I don't have any tens. I've got a Fury um, uh, 10 by 42 yeah. range-finding binocular. It's great. Do you have the AB I've, one? or the... I have the AB. Mm. You know, I did some amateur astronomy with my 8 by 32 Vipers. <laughs> when? I, uh, oh, it was a long time ago. Oh. I looked up in the sky, and I oh, saw, it was a I saw ago. Jupiter and Mars. Ah, and I, I, I got a good look at them. And I didn't have a tripod on me, so I had to like set the binoculars up and try and keep yeah. them from moving. And I actually got a decent enough nice. look. I was, no, I was noticing some things. I could yeah. see r- the rings around Jupiter. Saturn. Saturn. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> you, you probably saw the four uh, Galilean moons of Jupiter. Through right, a pair of binoculars. Exactly. Oh, no, the, I did see. Oh. Moon, I do. Rem- I do recall seeing something. I was like, I think that's a moon. Yeah. Um, the gosh, Galilean moons, Jim. They're beautiful this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, yeah. Edit. Uh, edit. You might, you might no, have to no, show those. You know what? Yeah. No, no. Don't edit it. Don't edit. That's how we roll around here. Um, <laughs> rules are rules. Rules are rules. I created them there as part of it. You know, live by the sword, I die by the sword. I saw, I saw Actually, some Jim, rings. All right, I you're saw not some wrong. rings. Jupiter does have a ring system, but it's not visible through optics. Right, it's just it's really small. It's it's just so you know it's not as dense. The whatever the rocks and dust are in in the well, okay. actually, okay, that, there are a so couple of planets apart from Jupiter that have uh, rings. I think either. Neptune and Uranus does too. Mm. Didn't they Careful find to see that, that one planet though. Right. Yeah. right. Well, did I thought though is like what's the one that's like oh it's a planet it's not a planet Pluto. Pluto. Oh okay. What so do what you is think? it? What's your stance? It's something that goes Pluto. around the sun. Okay. Well, I mean, lots of, of things. Thing is a thing like, despite what whatever people call it. There are things that go around stars. They're either planets, asteroids, you know, minor planets, major planets, whatever you want to call them. Planet's just a, a word we put on it. Right. Is is it round? Yes. You know, does it have an atmosphere? Barely, you know. Hmm. I mean, I don't think it, it's, in, in the strictest sense, astronomers want to categorize it as something other than a planet because the other ones are so much different than it. You know, it's just a rock, a cold rock. Yeah, and okay. you get to uh, Neptune and uh, Uranus and Jupiter and Saturn. They're they're big gas planets, okay. and then you get the interior planets like Mars, Earth, Venus, but not Mercury. Those are planets with an at- with an atmosphere, you know, more of an atmosphere. You know, we could we could walk on them. You can't walk on those big gaseous planets. Honestly, oh. well, you can. You cannot. I don't even know if there's a core. Maybe way, 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 way down through the, the storms, there's a core down there somewhere, you know, a rocky surface. But they're mostly just hydrogen and helium gas. Uh, wow. High oh. school astronomy failed me. Or I failed. <laughs> 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 you mean you It was the course's fault, You could fault, just, like, Jim. fly through it? <laughs> no. There, I don't know. I, Would I, you I, crash? <laughs> I don't know how far you got to go down 
if uh. if you hit ground at ever, but most of it is just gas. That's incredible. Hydrogen mm. and helium gas. But it makes such a nice circle. It, it does, and that's gravity holding it all in right. place like that. Right. Now there there are stars, right, and there are gaseous planets. There's actually an in between kind of thing called a, a, a brown dwarf, which is a like a gaseous planet that didn't quite have enough hydrogen and helium to start a nuclear chain reaction. Okay. Which is what it's it's like almost a precursor to a star. They're kind mm. of in between. They're not mm. they're not really a planet and they're not really like a star like the sun. They call them brown dwarf stars. Now is that what planet X is? Cuz I remember planet X coming up when I was in high school. I have school. no idea. I have no idea, but man, talk about major digressions. Huh? That's all right. I it like all started it. with me Gas, saying gaseous planets. I saw Jupiter's rings. Yeah, yeah. it does. And look, it it actually does. If you well, okay, if you so, Google it, there is a ring system. So, what, okay. what I knew you meant Saturn. I did mean <laughs> I did mean Saturn yeah. for what it's worth. And well, I did see the rings with me by four, I have thirty two. So that's you can see uh, Saturn's rings through like a ten or twelve power binocular, just barely little tiny right. little nubs. You know, right? But you can I, see I mean, them. yeah. And, and for me, it was basically kind of like I think that's yeah. a ring, and then and I took that as like. I saw the rings. So what's the ring made out of? Why just, a uh, ring? Dust and rocks. Just but why would it be like this? Um, yeah, why doesn't it just turn into like, why does it stay so like, organized? Yeah. Probably because of gravity. It gets caught in the gravitational swirl. I'm, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's the reason. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. If a listener knows. It's a lot of interesting well, let us stuff know. out there. Yeah. Well, how long before how many satellites we put out there will it form an artificial ring around Earth? How long will that take? You, br- mm. you know, that's... But that's where most of the satellites It doesn't take long to look up to find one. That's for right. sure. So we essentially are making our own ring. Slowly but surely. With sat- so, okay, got it. Mm. Hmm. Boy, some, somewhere somebody's looking at us going, yeah, look at that we're doing ring with, around the we're earth. doing with the yeah, satellites, they go, though, they're going to kind of make do. this mesh. So they're not yeah. going to have like one defined... You, you want to see something interesting, put Google-like uh, positions of satellites around Earth, and you'll see this unbelievably complex diagram of just how much junk there is up there right now. Now, some of it works. A lot of junk. Yeah, but there's so, a lot of yeah. stuff up there that doesn't work just anymore. Obsolete. It's just, just Yeah, it's just up there. Space trash. Yeah, space trash, exactly. Space junk. What are we going to shoot that stuff down? That'd be a heck well, I of think th- I think recently there was a country that did that. Oh, they were just kind of like, you know what? I'm sick of that thing. Yeah. Did you hear about that? No, no I missed that. Oh, okay. Well, what happened, Mike? Boy, that'd be fun. I got a minute. Uh, the Russians sh- uh, fired a missile at a, an old satellite and it created enough of a debris field that they had to warn the International Space Station. And I don't know if they had to deviate, but it was it was criticized. So maybe a not huge a huge outcry idea. that how shame on you for endangering the lives of the astronauts in the International Space Station. Maybe not a good idea then yeah. to shoot. Well, I mean, you create all that debris out there, and all of that. Believe it or not, there's a ton of debris around Earth that. Um, is cataloged and kept track of so that, remember when we had the space shuttle? Yeah. They would ha- periodically have to make deviations in their, their orbit course to oh. avoid space junk. And they would be warned, like, you're going to have to make a, a correction at whatever, 0700 hours, do this, do that, thrusters, this, that, to avoid some known cataloged piece of space junk that's out there. Yeah. Because that could be a really bad thing. Oh, it could be terrible. I mean, those space things. I mean, I, when you look at them, they look like they're made out of tin foil and like, yeah. and like, 
I don't know. The like, old like, limb like, from the uh, Apollo is just is, is very fragile spacecraft. Right. Like there should be like Jiffy Pop inside. <laughs> <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Uh, Let's open that space station. It looks delicious. <laughs> Anything else on the Diamondbacks before we uh, we wrap it up? I mean, but we can. Fantastic. Oh, geez. I know we've been. No, we did good. Yeah. Um, nothing for me. I just love them. No, I think it's. <sighs> You know, and I don't know if we're going to edit some of that out, but um, uh, going going back to our original sort of evaluation of the Diamondbacks, there's something for everybody here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, whether whether it's um, uh, NASCAR or Kentucky Derby for compacts, going to the opera for compacts, was something Mark does, I understand, in the fall season quite regularly. Big opera guy. Yeah, big opera oh, yeah. guy. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, Pot venture, <laughs> or your thirty twos, your forty twos. You get into more nature observation, up to your fifty millimeters for um, more prolonged viewing at greater distances. Finally, our fifteen by fifty six, which is our ultimate in the Diamondback line, and a huge improve, improvement over other fifteen by fifty six binoculars we had that were more expensive. So it is our our most well rounded bang for your dollar in terms of optical quality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I can understand why they are our most popular sellers. Yep. Still remember, uh, it was my brother Sam who was on one of the podcasts many moons ago. Uh, he designed the original Diamondback, and then he then moved on to a number of different projects here at Vortex. But when time came for the current generation of Diamondbacks that you see here, when time came for the Diamondback binocular series to be remodeled, he came back out of hiding in his uh, secret mad evil genius projects and he designed the next diamondback after that since then he's been back to his crazy evil genius whatever right he, he came back to design these again they held just, a special place in his heart it was very special i remember that it was that was a big deal but here, um, here here's what i'd cap it off with we're in the heart right now at at press time as i like to say even though it's digital radio we're not printing anything we're in the heart of a lot of our big game seasons, a lot of our waterfowl seasons. If you haven't tagged out yet, it could be because you don't have a set of binoculars that you can rely on. So if you're looking to get into that game, the Diamondbacks are a fantastic place to start. This also coincides at press time with kind of the holiday gift-giving season. So if you want to give the gift that keeps on giving and fills your freezer or helps fill your freezer year after year, Consider a set of these Diamondbacks. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. You're welcome. Well said, Mark. All it'll, right. it'll improve your life. Well, how about that? Boy, there's a lot of subjects that came up today, but uh, thoughts on astronomy, what binoculars you like, configurations, that sort of thing. Where's Waldo Bucks? Uh, hit us up in the comments. How to say Ocotillo? Ocotillo. The, the rings Ocotillo. of Jupiter. The ring. The, yeah. Okay. What yeah, have you seen too. in space? I have one I more. Mike said I've got one more things. I got one more space-related question, Mike. Space thing. And so I'll, I don't know if this this will either. I don't want you to answer it if there's a lot to it because okay. maybe it's another podcast. What's your uh, What are your thoughts on aliens? Aliens? Do you have lots of thoughts or not very many thoughts? Not very many thoughts. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then but I, th- I, but I thought I, we might be able to tease you in quickly, another podcast on aliens. But just quickly. You ever seen it's, one? N- have I? Yeah. Um, maybe. Yeah, I've been outside late at night a lot 
in the past doing astrophotography, seen some pretty interesting things out there at 2 o'clock in the morning doing long exposure photography. Just laying back, letting the telescope do its thing with the camera attached to it, laying on my back and just watching the night sky for hours on end while I'm doing photo, you know, astrophotography. Yeah, you, you see a few things like, what was that just now? What was that? And a lot of those things happen so fast. And if, you're, if, you're not, if you don't happen to have the telescope with the camera on it at the right, well, you've lost your opportunity in a flash. You can never really get that back again. Hmm. That, occasionally, somebody comes along with a somewhat credible story. You know, all I can say is it's a big place out there. So maybe, Mark. Fair enough. Boy. There. That's it. That's all I had. It was, yeah, again, just another an random. interesting discussion there. Yeah. Bring Joe Rogan on. <laughs> Joe Rogan and Mike McDowell. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That would be a di- I would just. Good God. I would hand them two headsets and then just sit back and yeah. relax. Yeah, and if, if you, you want to see that, uh, go over and, you know, comment on Joe Rogan's oh my latest gosh, podcast. Yeah. yeah, you should go <laughs> talk to Mike McDowell. Uh, it'd be good. Poke that bear. <laughs> you did. All right. Uh, I'm, your, I'm your Huckleberry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be your Doug. We, we capping this one off? We're capping it off. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. All right. That'll wrap it up for this episode of the Vortex Nation podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hit that subscribe button so you can always stay up to date on the latest happenings over here at the Vortex Nation podcast. Leave us a review or comment down below. We want to hear what you have to say about the show, maybe what you like, maybe what you didn't like, so that way we can make these podcasts as good as they can be. You can also follow us on Instagram, at Vortex Nation Podcast. We'll be posting about each episode released, so that way you can go back, find these things, maybe grab a little nugget of information that you can take with you to the range, out in the field, or uh, maybe to the kitchen if we're talking about some good food. So again, everybody, thanks, and happy hunting and shooting. We appreciate it. Have a good one.